Friends, we are God's people. Amen. We are the chosen of the Lord. We're born of the Spirit. That, that's one of my favorite hymns. It reminds us of our identity in Christ. It reminds us that we're team salt and light. And these are all amazing things, right? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But let me ask you, have you ever been disappointed in the behavior of other Christians? Is that something that would ever happen to you? Never, right? No, of course. We've all been disappointed by the sins and behaviors of other fellow believers. Satan deceives all of us into sin. But not only is Satan called the father of lies, he's also called the accuser. So that when you fall into sin, his goal is that you will feel as worthless as possible. He wants you to feel so condemned that you would not even hope that you could reach out and find mercy and forgiveness. And so what happens is, us Christians, we fall right into Satan's trap. Another believer does something sinful or stupid, which we should expect to happen. But Satan comes along and he starts whispering in our ear. How could they? How could they do such a thing? Don't they know any better? Haven't they listened to Pastor Nate's sermons? <laughs> I can't believe they profess to be a Christian and they would do this. I'm just so upset. I don't know. I don't know if I could worship with such a person. I don't know if I could be associated with someone who would dot, 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 fill in the blank. We hear, do not judge, and we think, yeah, other Christians should stop being so judgmental. <laughs> if you think this do not judge sermon is perfect for somebody else, I have news for you. It's perfect for you. Friends, our world is filled, I believe, with a spirit of criticism and condemnation. It's all over the news, it's all over social media, and it's infected the church it's infected us. Certainly, can we not agree that we're in dire need of the teachings of Jesus in this passage? And I believe if we could actually begin to put into practice what Jesus teaches here in Matthew 7, that we can become who we say we are, God's people, a hospital for sinners, a place of healing and mercy for the broken. I tell you every week to go be the church. But how can we be the church when we're all so darn sinful? This is what Jesus helps us with. And I, I think really there's three points I'd like to make from this passage. I don't have any slides for you today, so you have to follow my voice, okay? So that the first is this. Three things we need to be a hospital for sinners. Number one, do not, condemn, do not condemn others, but give others the mercy you would like to receive. Do not condemn others, but give others the mercy you would like to receive. This is what Jesus is saying in verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 7. If you to open up your Bibles or follow along in your phones or what have you. He begins by saying, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. Now, the key to interpreting this passage is what Jesus means by the word judge. Now, even in English, the word judge has a wide range of meanings. For example, I severely misjudged how difficult it would be to preach through the entire Sermon on the, on the Mount. 
I did not perceive the difficulty it would be to go through this text. So sometimes we use judge to talk about how we perceive things or how we perceive others. Another way that we use the word judge is for somebody who evaluates somebody else. For example, Simon Cowell was a judge on American Idol. Anybody watched that show back in the day when he was a judge? Yeah, that, such good times, just a few. But man, that, that dude was brutal. He would say things like, not to be rude, but you were terrible. It's just like, man, I don't want to stand before that kind of judge. We can also use the word judge to mean condemn, to pronounce someone as guilty and hold it over them. And it's in that sense Jesus uses the word judge here. Scott McKnight says that the phrase should actually be translated, do not condemn or you too will be condemned. What Jesus is forbidding here is condemning other people for their sins and treating them with contempt for what they've done. I hope you can see this is already very different than how many people like to use this verse out of context. Because often if you tell, if you tell people these days, I believe what you're doing is wrong, or I believe what you're doing or saying or proposing is sin. Well, they might respond with Jesus' words, hey, don't judge me. Don't be so judgmental. First of all, this is not what Jesus meant. Second of all, this is a self-defeating argument. When you tell someone that not to judge because that's wrong, are you not telling them that what they're doing is wrong? When you call someone judgmental, are you not being judgmental of them for being judgmental? I mean, it's a, it's a ridiculous circle, right? It doesn't work. And also, I think Jesus primarily meant this as a word for us, for our own hearts, not to be used as a weapon or as a defense against others. J.C. Ryle said, it is possible to press the words of the Bible so far that they yield not medicine, but poison. Friends, this word of Jesus, it's meant to bring healing, but often the ways that people use it, it brings more actually toxicity into the church and makes things worse. We cannot, it's clear to you, we cannot escape the fact that Jesus calls us, the church, God's people, to be a holy and morally discerning community. Have you, have you not picked that up in the Sermon on the Mount yet? Most everything in the Sermon on the Mount has been a moral discernment of what's, what's, what's wrong. Jesus has been saying, well, you've heard it said this way. Well, that's wrong. I'm telling you this. There's a moral discernment. We are to be morally discerning in regards to our good deeds, our sexual desires, our marriages, our speech, our anger, our unreconciled relationships, loving our enemies, the hypocrisy in our hearts, our praying, our giving, our fasting, how we use our money. All along has Jesus not called us to a righteousness that surpassed all of the religious people of his day. It's a tall task. And we are called to agree with and align our lives with what is right as determined by Jesus Christ. So what do we do with do not judge? Scott McKnight again, he says, we must learn to distinguish moral discernment from personal condemnation. We have to distinguish between moral discernment and personal condemnation. It's the difference between saying they sinned, they deserve punishment, and saying they sinned, they deserve mercy, or they should get 
mercy. Do you see the difference? We want to show people mercy because the truth is we need mercy ourselves, do we not? This is what Jesus is saying, that how we treat others in their sins, God will treat us. In the same way you judge others, you will be judged. That should give us a little bit of fear, I think. That at the last judgment, the way we treated other people for their sins is the way we will be treated. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's what Jesus says. So then it begs the question, how would you like God to treat you with all your sins? I just want you to close your eyes for about 20 seconds. Close your eyes right now. Picture yourself before God's throne, his judgment seat. Picture yourself there with all the things you've done wrong. What would you like God to do for you right now? How would you like God to treat you? You can open your eyes. Thank you for playing along. I did this thought experiment on myself when I was preparing for the sermon, and I came to a few conclusions. I still want God to love me in his heart despite what I've done. I was hoping that God would still affirm his love for me despite my sin. And in the end, I still want God to accept me and welcome me into his kingdom despite being a sinner. So I boiled boiled that down to three things. I wanted God to be merciful to me in his heart and his thoughts towards me in his words and in his deeds, his welcoming. So let me break that down further for us. We need to be merciful. If that's what we want from God, we need to be merciful towards others with our thoughts. Be merciful in your thoughts towards others. Condemnation usually begins in the heart. It begins in the mind. begins in our thoughts. Paul said this in Romans 14. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or why do you despise your brother or sister? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. I think one of the most merciful things that we can do for each other is to keep believing in each other, to keep believing the best about each other, to give each other the benefit of the doubt, and to remind ourselves that no matter what they've done, this is a person that's still loved by God. So we have to be humble in ourselves, towards, in our thoughts towards others. Also because we never know the full story. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the heart. We often assume someone's motive. But the reality is we don't know until we talk with them. We, don't, we usually don't know the full story. So would you rather that people suspend judgment about you until they knew this full, full story and talked with you directly? Of course we would all want that, right? That people would not judge us in that way until they got the full story. We need to give that to others. William Barclay says, The fact is that if we realized what some people have to go through, so far from condemning them, we would be amazed that they have succeeded in being as good as they are. At the very least, we should suspend our judgments until we know the facts, talk with the person, and give them the mercy in our thoughts that we would want them to give to us. The other thing that we 
can do is we can be merciful in our words towards others. Of course, you know, all throughout the Bible, we're, we're called to get rid of gossip and slander and complaining about each other, begrudging each other. All of these things we're to get rid of. And that would be a huge victory in and of itself. Amen? But more than just removing negative speech, I think we all long for positive affirmation. I know when I stand before Jesus, I want to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come into my kingdom. Can we not reaffirm our love for each other? After dealing with sin, can we not remind each other that we're brothers and sisters and and even that we're called to love one another? That is mercy. Mercy acknowledges the wrongdoing. It acknowledges the sin, but it gives grace anyway. That's mercy. And also, we can be merciful in our deeds and our actions towards others. Paul says in Romans 15, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Friends, I don't know about you, when you're picturing yourself standing before the judgment seat of God, in the end, I just want to be received into his kingdom. Like the thief on the cross, my prayer is, Lord, just remember me. Just remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I want to ask you, what will people receive when they stand before your judgment seat? What do people receive from you when they stand before your judgment seat? If you want to be welcomed by God despite your manifold sins, shouldn't you not welcome and forgive and accept others despite their manifold sins? That is what Jesus is calling us to. To be a hospital for sinners, we have to stop condemning others, holding it over them, and we offer them the mercy that we ourselves are in dire need of and that we would like to receive. The second thing we need to be a hospital for sinners is we work hard at seeing and removing our own sin. We work hard at seeing and removing our own sin. In verse 3, Jesus gets into the speck of sawdust in the brother's eye. And why do you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And then he tells them, first, take the plank out of your eye. Now, this is a comical illustration. I mean, if you kind of picture this as like almost a political cartoon. In fact, the the word used for wood uh, that Jesus used here, it was a beam, a large beam in a house that one scholar says could be 40 feet long. I mean, can you imagine this 40 feet way over there in the distance? And here I'm coming. Hey, brother, I see a speck in your eye. Can I help you with that? I mean, it's preposterous, right? It's preposterous that this is happening. Jesus calls those who do this hypocrites. And what's hypocritical is that they're paying so careful attention to the sin of others, but clearly they have paid no attention to their own sin. And you might think, I would never be the guy with a plank in his eye. I would never do that. Really? You who are upset with the behavior of other Christians, how much attention do you pay to the sin in your own life? Do you ever examine yourself? Do you ever measure yourself against the word of God? Do you ever confess your sins to another believer as scripture commands us to do? How's the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Are you self-controlled? Are you so hard on others but rarely critical about yourself? 
Jesus calls us first, pay attention. He says, pay attention to the plank in, in our eyes. He calls us to pay attention to it. But we would rather not. We would rather look away. We would rather do anything but look at our own sin. In fact, we'd, we would prefer to look at everybody else's sin. But sometimes we're not aware that there's a plank in our eye. But Jesus brings light into our souls and makes us aware that it's probably the case that we have a big plank in our eye. And so the call is to pay attention and then to take the plank out. Now that's a call to repent and remove sin out of our lives. Clearly the solution is not to be okay with anything in our eyes. Whether it's a plank or even sawdust, both would be extremely uncomfortable. Whether our sins are big or small, we are called to remove them out of our lives and repent of it all. I mean, remember what Jesus said about lust in this sermon? If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and, and throw it away. It's better for you to enter eternal life maimed than for you to than go, in, uh, go into hell. I mean, this is the seriousness in which Jesus called us to remove sin. But the reality is, sin is a powerful force and we're going to need help if we're going to find any victory this side of heaven. So that's why we need number three. If we're going to be a hospital for sinners, we need to gently give each other support to overcome sin. Gently give each other support to overcome sin. Verse five, Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I hope by now you realize that this passage on do not judge does not mean refrain from telling your brothers and sisters about their sin. That is not what it means. No, we refrain from condemning people for their sin. We show mercy to them in their sin. We work really hard on ourselves first, and then we're enabled to give them the gentle support that we all need to overcome sin in our life. And Jesus says that process is going to be like removing a speck from someone's eye. Now consider, friends, that the eye is a very delicate body part. It's extremely delicate. And I don't really know what the process was like in Jesus' day, but I asked my wife, Laura, who is a, an ER nurse, and I said, have you ever dealt with anyone coming into the ER with something in their eye? And what's that, what was that process like? And she told me, she said, yeah, someone came in with a piece of shrapnel in their eye. They had been working in some type of manufacturing job and they didn't have their, they didn't have their safety goggles on and some type of uh, piece of metal shrapnel flew into their eye and they came into the ER for help. So I said, what do you do? You got the, you got the metal in your eye. He says, well, first, the eye is very sensitive so actually we dim the lights in the room. <laughs> we first get the, get the light right. And then she says, its eye is very painful so then you have to numb the eye and she says, you drop a few drops of, now this is a word above my pay grade, tetracaine into the eye to numb the eye and sort of remove some of the, that, those pain nerves so that's not as sensitive. And then she says, you can't even touch the eye, nor can you even touch the shrapnel directly. What you have to do is get a saline solution and just gently rinse the eye with as much saline solution as possible until the metal comes out on its own. If you don't follow this process carefully, it's very likely 
you will cause further damage to the eye. Friends, it's with this gentleness that we ought to treat one another in the body of Christ. Can we not just remember we're all, we're all human? It's, it's, life can be painful. Sin is painful. Being confronted is painful. None of this is easy. But we're all just human beings try, you know, trying our best to follow Jesus in the church. And when we need help, we need needs to be done in a spirit of gentleness. Paul said the same thing in Galatians 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Gently restore them. Or as John Chrysostom, the early church father, said, correct your brother not as a foe nor as an adversary exacting a penalty, but as a physician. See, it's this, this hospital for sinners, this healing touch, this healing relationship. But no good doctor, no good physician would turn a blind eye to something that is hurting you. They wouldn't just say, forget about it, it's no big deal, just go on and be on your way. No, no, no. You have to remove what's hurting you. So we need to give each other gentle support to overcome sin. Now, there are times when sin must be confronted in the church for the sake of everybody, for the sake of the church, for the sake of its health and its holiness. Holiness and justice and righteousness must be upheld amongst the people of God, right? We cannot allow serious matters, serious sin or abuse to go unchecked. The Apostle Paul had to do this with the church in Corinth. Clearly, Paul knew that do not judge does not mean do not deal with sin. In fact, he wrote in 1 Corinthians 5, he said to the church, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind of immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with grief and remove from your congregation one who did this? I have already pronounced judgment on the one who has done such a thing. Hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? See what Paul is doing. Paul is confronting, not condemning. He actually says he wants this person with this serious sin to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He is making a moral discernment with with significant and clearly unrepentant sin within the church. Now, this was a drastic measure for something serious, but the point I'm making is this. It's actually our responsibility to lovingly uphold the standards of Jesus, the standards of the Christian faith, and not allow them to lax under the banner of do not judge. It's our responsibility to uphold the righteousness of God to which he calls us. And Paul goes on to make this point later in the chapter. He says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to, are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. So we are not to condemn each other, but we are to hold each other accountable. Do you see the difference? That's a We've got to hold each other accountable. And we also, we have no responsibility doing this with people outside the church in the world, Paul says. 
But the problem that we've had, the Christians have had with judging is that we often do this with the world. We, we, direct, we direct our moral discernments to people outside the church. We demand from the world that they follow the commands of God and we condemn them when they don't. Friends, that's not our job. And this is how I personally understand what Jesus says in verse 6. Jesus said, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, I will tell you, if you read the commentaries on this verse, many manifold interpretations are given on how to understand this. Sometimes it's about the gospel and the Gentiles, but uh, my theory, this is my personal theory, my theory is Paul got his theology from Jesus. And he's saying that our responsibility is to those within the kingdom, not to those without we are not to cast our judgments on those outside the kingdom. That's what the dogs and pigs, they represent Gentiles, those who were outside the people of God. So Paul, and so Jesus is saying, if you cast your judgments on those outside the kingdom, they might turn and trample and tear you to pieces. And I have to ask you, have you not seen that happen in the world? So many in the world, they hate the church because we've demanded from them that they follow our standards of morality, of righteousness, of sexuality, of whatever it may be. And now they hate us for it. We have to stop judging the world entirely. We have to stop condemning them. But we have to hold ourselves and each other accountable. And this starts with you. It starts with you. If you've ever been disappointed in the behavior of other Christians, ask yourself, am I holding myself accountable to the standards of the Christian faith? Am I holding myself accountable? And friends, as I said, sin is a delicate matter. It's not easy to do. It's not easy to confront anybody. So my personal recommendation to you is just to give people in your life permission to do this. I do this in my own life. I ask some friends of mine, other people, will you hold me accountable? Can I check in with you? Can we confess our sins to one another so that we have accountability in our lives? And as we do that, friends, I believe you will find the mercy, the healing, and the support you need to overcome sin and look just a little bit more like Jesus Christ. I'm afraid that if we don't have these kinds of relationships in our lives where we can ask, how is your walk with the Lord? How goes your walk? How's your, how's your walk with Jesus doing? Isn't that what covenant, covenanters are supposed to be? Do we have these relationships where we can ask each other this? If we don't have that, we're going to look more and more like the world because we're not holding each other accountable. So let's pay attention to our own sin and help each other be more like Jesus. That's what it takes to be a hospital for sinners? Do you long for the church to be a place of healing and mercy for the broken? If you do, then don't condemn others for their sin, but give them the mercy you would like to receive. Work really hard on yourself first at seeing and removing your own sin. And then after you've done that, gently give others the support they need to be more like Jesus. Friends, as I conclude... I really just feel like the Lord wants to help 
a bunch of us just to lay some things down. I think about that story with with Jesus and, and the woman caught in adultery. And the men are ready to cast their stones. And Jesus tells them, well, you who without sin cast the first stone. And what do they do? One by one, they drop the stone. And some of you, I just really believe this is from the Lord. Maybe it's not, but I believe it's from the Lord. Like the Lord is telling you, just drop the stone. Just drop the stone. Stop holding it over your brother or sister. Stop looking at them with contempt. And we can say to one another, neither do we condemn you. Let's go and sin no more together. If we could do that, if you could do that this morning, healing will burst forth, light will come into your life, and we will be God's people, a hospital for sinners. Amen.